Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. And this is Thursday, May 18th, 2017, How the Time Flies. Good afternoon to those in the Western time zones and good evening to those in the East. Follow the instructions you received when you called in in order to show my studio board that you're waiting with a question. I'll try to get to it. I'm going to go off the usual format today and I'm going to give you a uh, an example of how I do the analysis. People ask me what I do all day, and basically it's review and reports that uh, consist of anywhere from 15 to 30 pages uh, uh, of material where I examine every document Uh, give my opinion as to the document, and then tie it together into a strategy. Uh, It's a lot of work, and uh, I don't do many of them in any given week or month, but uh, that's that's what I do uh, in addition to writing the blog and doing consults, etc. And we're going to get a taste, you're going to get a taste today of how my analysis uh, proceeds um, and what I uh, provide to lawyers and uh, pro se litigants. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, G- GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog. Or you can call 202-838-6345, which is our main number and not the number to reach this show. And pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show and our other work uh, on the blog and in the news has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all the consumers. Bill Padalo brought to my attention a decision that was rendered one year ago in the 4th District Court of Appeal in Florida. 
I've decided to use it tonight on this show to demonstrate demonstrate how I analyze cases for truth and how I organize a case for litigation. The case is Roberto versus U.S. Bank, and you can download download it off the blog announcement today, or you can. Uh, Google it, and you'll get it there. Robelto is R-O-B-E-L-T-O. And in this case, there's a cast of characters. And it kind of brings together a lot of the craziness that you see in foreclosure litigation. Because while U.S. Bank, in this case, is the current party claiming an interest in the Roberto loan, it isn't the only one who has sued as the owner of the debt note or mortgage. We have a cast of characters here who are familiar to anyone who has been involved in foreclosures and an almost indecipherable uh, mix of those characters, wondering how U.S. Bank HSBC, Wells Fargo, etc., could all be involved in the same loan. And the truth is, none of them are, but we'll get to that. So you have Caliber, which is a name that's been rising on my radar uh, as a servicer. It's been rising on my radar because they have been the subject of numerous inquiries, and I believe they've been sanctioned uh, as not doing their job as a servicer. Uh, You have HSBC as supposedly an owner, HSBC as a servicer, and then Wells Fargo as supposedly the possessor of the original note, just to name a few. And, of course, there are the many others behind the curtain. So reported in in May of 2016, the analysis and decision of the 4th DCA in Florida presents a synopsis by the court of many of the ways that claims of securitization and other false claims are at the root of most foreclosures. I would say almost all of them. But it's not all of them, but it's certainly a percentage that in Senate hearings was uh, admitted to be potentially as high as 95%. Uh, That was with Elizabeth Warren questioning investigators. The trial court did what trial courts do. They denied the objections from the homeowner's lawyer and allowed fabricated or forged or questionable documents into evidence without any proper foundation. I'll try to break it down for you so you can potentially use the reasoning of the court and as supplemented by what I am presenting here as my analysis. So in a departure from my usual way of just summarizing a case, I'll go through the Roberto case piece by piece. We won't finish it tonight. Um, because it corroborates what I've been saying for 10 years. So here you have an appellate court making a decision 
indicating that there was complete lack of foundation and proper evidence uh, on which a foreclosure could be granted in favor of a party that didn't seem to have anything to do with the loan. And as I have been saying for just as many years, 10 years, this appellate panel reaches its conclusion by application of existing law, not by going according to Garfield or anyone else. This is not theory. The law has existed. It's just that the courts have refused to apply it, sometimes blindly refusing to apply it because the desirable result for them was to make sure the foreclosure went through. They saw their job as ministerial in pushing the maximum number of cases through to foreclosure judgment and sale. So, and and parts of what you're going to hear tonight are, are from my upcoming publication of Garfield's Guide to Foreclosure Defense coming out in June. The actual outcome in this case is almost irrelevant, although the trial judge was reversed. The reasoning by the court edges towards the truth here at the appellate court, but not quite to the edge where you can see everything. You can't make this stuff up. What was wrong with the case presented in the name of U.S. Bank? Everything. So, first quote in the case decision, and I'm quoting a court here. Homeowners challenged the trial court's final judgment of foreclosure, contending that the appellee failed to prove the necessary elements to reestablish a lost note. The evidence proved that the note was last in possession of Wells Fargo but the appellee did not establish Wells Fargo's possession, or if it had possession, its connection to the appellee or its predecessors in title. We agree the appellee did not establish the requirements to reestablish the lost note and reverse. That's from the court, first paragraph of the decision. Banks pull the wool over the eyes of trial judges by proving something that is relevant but far from dispositive, containing an ounce of truth, which is the title of the next book. In this case, the evidence proved that the note was last seen in the possession of Wells Fargo. Okay, deeper digging reveals at least the opinion of the appellate court that maybe it wasn't last seen in the possession of Wells Fargo and that nobody in the chain has ever seen the original note. Deeper digging would certainly have revealed, in this case, in my opinion, that Wells Fargo Bank never had the original note since most of the original notes were destroyed contemporaneously with the closing of the loan transactions. In other words, 
they started off with a lie. Big surprise. And due to asymmetry of information, the word of the bank's lawyer was taken as legal presumptions of facts that did not exist. Asymmetry of information means that there's an imbalance of information and an extreme imbalance. In this case, um, as in virtually all foreclosure cases, the borrower and the borrower's attorney has virtually no knowledge or facts as to what really happened. And the party in whose name the uh, foreclosure was brought probably also has no knowledge or facts. And the attorney saying that they represent the party who's bringing the foreclosure probably has had no contact with the party who is named as the plaintiff or beneficiary in the foreclosure. So the attorney probably doesn't really have a client. Now, in the case of U.S. Bank, of course, their website completely disclaims any interest in the goings-on of the mortgages, notes, foreclosures, or anything else leaving one to ask, how is that a trustee if they can't even, uh, if the documents prohibit them from even inquiring as to what's going on inside the so-called trust? The answer, of course, is nothing is going on in the trust because the trust never went into business and never acquired any loans. So, the real rebuff comes in the next sentence from the quote that I read. The court did not believe that Wells Fargo Bank received possession from anyone who had a legal, who had legal possession or a right to enforce the note. So the court is basically implying or stating, depending upon how you read the decision, that Wells Fargo Bank was a complete stranger to this transaction and that HSBC, which originally brought the action, also probably was a complete stranger to the action. And I would argue, given the fantastic number of lawsuits and settlements and agency actions, that the legal presumptions that enable these foreclosures to go through are not warranted. But that needs to be argued carefully because unless you build the, the house brick by brick, the court will just run over you. You need to be able to state real facts and introduce information that can be accepted in evidence that shows that these are the same parties who have been fabricating, forging, and otherwise uh, mishandling 
uh, uh, paper that probably does not reflect any actual transaction. And what you're doing is you're attacking the legal presumption and saying they have to actually prove the fact that's being presumed instead of the court simply assuming that must be true. The court obviously did not believe that Wells Fargo Bank received possession. And the reason they didn't believe it is that there was no competent evidence and a total lack of foundation for any presumption that the chain was unbroken from the original lender to Wells Fargo and then to U.S. Bank, which we'll discuss in a moment. So the next quote I'm not leaving anything out of the decision, is from the court, and it says, HSBC Mortgage Services filed a mortgage foreclosure proceeding against homeowners in 2008 based upon the homeowner's default on the promissory note. Attached to the complaint were exhibits, including a copy of the mortgage showing Delta Funding Corporation as the lender, and a promissory note with a blank endorsement from Delta Funding. The complaint alleged that HSBC owned the note. Five years after filing the complaint, HSBC moved to amend to include account for reestablishment of the note pursuant to the Florida statutes allowing uh, reestablishment of a lost note. It attached a lost note affidavit in which the affiant, a representative of HSBC, testified that HSBC was in possession of the note prior to it becoming lost. In March 2014, HSBC withdrew its motion for leave to amend and ultimately the case proceeded to trial at which the court declared a mistrial when the note was not produced. So we have a lender here named Delta Funding Corporation whose name, to me, at least suggests the possibility that it was not a lender but rather a conduit for funding. That, in turn, would imply that a third party was the lender, thus violating one of the key components of the Truth in Lending Act, wherein Congress decided that it does matter whether the borrower knows the identity of the lender, and that if this information is withheld, it is a prohibited table-funded loan. Did HSBC own the note? The complaint says it did but there is no evidence in the record to support that. And HSBC didn't say it. The lawyers who filed the complaint in the name of HSBC said it. And this is a whole area which is just beginning to rise, which is FDCPA and other claims against the lawyers who are bringing these actions, in many cases, without a client without an apparent client. They do not have an attorney-client relationship with the party for whom they are seeking foreclosure. Using the HSBC name, 
They filed the complaint whose purpose was to produce a windfall for the servicer, the front for which was in the current action caliber who has been the subject of numerous court rulings calling them out for misrepresentation and fabricated documents. Then the lawyers moved to amend for a lost note. Then the lawyers withdraw the, the motion to amend for the lost note and continued to trial. Is that confusing? Yeah. Is it meant to be confusing? Yeah. So they have the note, they don't have the note, they have the note, and then later, they don't have the note again. A key factor here was missed even by this appellate court. By moving to amend for a lost note and then withdrawing it, they admitted that there was a break in the chain of custody. Thus, in order to go forward, they still need to amend to explain the break in the chain of custody or ownership. At trial... The trial court declared a mistrial when the original note could not be produced. That means they could still come back and try the case. But few, if any, trial judges demand to know what happened to the note, why they alleged it was lost, how it was found, and how it got lost again. Because the truth is, the note, wherever it shows up, is most probably going to be a fabricated instrument forged after its destruction. And you've heard on this broadcast as well as on the blog why they were destroying notes right after the closings. Going back to the appellate decision, later U.S. Bank Trust N.A., which is not to say U.S. Bank, uh, as trustee for the LSF-8 Master Participating Participation Trust was substituted as the party plaintiff in place of HSBC. Now, I think that the action should simply have been dismissed when HSBC lost, but the file was kept open, and now this trust uh, is named as the party plaintiff in a judicial foreclosure state, Florida, on behalf of, with U.S. Bank Trust N.A. acting as trustee for this so-called trust. So, U.S. Bank filed a verified second amended complaint for foreclosure and included, again, account to reestablish the lost note. So you've got HSBC saying, we lost it, we found it, we lost it. Now you've got U.S. Bank alleging somehow that they are a successor, but they don't have the note, and they're saying not that HSBC lost it, they're saying that they lost it themselves. The same copy of the note was attached to the original complaint, was then attached to the subsequent amended complaints. The homeowners answered, 
raising affirmative defenses and the case was set for trial. Substitution is often used by banks to cover their tracks. In non-judicial cases, the substitution of trustee on a deed of trust is the way a stranger to the transaction announces that it is a new beneficiary. This seemingly innocuous document is the foundation for most of the wrongful foreclosures in non-judicial states. The question in such cases is whether this new self-proclaimed beneficiary is actually the beneficiary. If it is not, then the substitution of trustee is void. And I think people make an error by not going after the substitution of trustee is void because that's jurisdictional. Here, the substitution is of the plaintiff. They do this because there's no reasonable explanation for how the new entity became the mortgagee or owner of the note or had any possessory or enforcement rights over the non-existent loan. But trial judges tend to allow the substitutions as ministerial when, in fact, the banks are playing musical chairs with false instruments, false representations, that in many cases include the false representation that the lawyer represents the named plaintiff. When homeowners object or file motions for dismissal arising from the alleged substitution of plaintiff without explanation of how the named plaintiff entered the picture, trial judges tend to deny the objections and sweep aside the motions as being dilatory. I've even seen transcripts where some judges have angrily said that the homeowner should not rage such issues again and have threatened the lawyers or the homeowner with contempt of court and sanctions. The new plaintiff wants to establish a lost note. That means HSBC claimed to own it, then claimed to have lost it, then claimed to, uh, to have it again by inference by the fact that they withdrew the uh, uh, request for amendment, followed by U.S. Bank Trust N.A. as trustee being named by the lawyers as the new plaintiff seeking to reestablish the lost note. It was lost and then found and then lost again, but the pleading and the proof failed to address these key issues according to existing law and not theory. And at trial, a so-called representative from Caliber Home Loans was the only witness to testify. She testified that Caliber was the current loan servicer for the Apelli U.S. Bank. The strategy used by the banks to blithely make assertions that can't be directly refuted by the borrower because the borrower has no access to the real information, and in discovery, judges mistakenly apply very narrow rules to what must be answered or produced in discovery. Given the new style of the case, there is a trust, not just a bank anymore, HSBC, and U.S. Bank Trust is named as the trustee, although whether they know their name is being used in a foreclosure suit is doubtful, and they certainly refuse to make any direct representations about the loan 
citing that um, the services know everything and the trustee knows nothing. Want to also direct your attention before we go here to the fact that the banks casually changed from U.S. Bank as trustee to U.S. Bank Trust N.A. as trustee because this practice, which is, of course, misrepresentation, wrongful, fraudulent, could have and probably subject U.S. Bank to tremendous liability. So that gives you a taste of how I go about analyzing these things and what I say about them when I encounter them. I'll continue more at another time to give you a, a, a better understanding. But thanks for joining me tonight, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.